Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Comics and Cinema. I'm your host, Alex Klein, and guys, I was able to pull off the triple header again. That's right, I just got home from my third movie of the week uh, for the AMC A-list, uh, which is, honestly, it is the most satisfying feeling. Like I've said this before, i say it again, I have a lot of OCD tendencies, and uh, to be able to see a movie in each of the three slots along with two Star Wars reserved showings in the bottom spot would feel it was a pretty good feeling. Um, so yeah, so this week I saw uh, Ford v. Ferrari, uh, Richard Jewell, and Waves, and along with I uh, watched Marriage Story as well uh, on Netflix. So those are going to be the things we're going to be discussing today along with a uh, just a little think piece that I had in regards to um, the future of Marvel Studios. So we'll dive into that portion first. I had this thought the other day. Uh, there is this mobile game. that I, I don't play it, but it's called uh, Marvel Future Fight. So honestly, I don't even know what the game is about. I just know it's a mobile game. It's a very popular mobile game i don't i also don't know how popular it is i just know it is because uh, a lot of the characters in that mobile game are uh spawning their own comics now in uh marvel comics which is really interesting and and it's uh so this future fight game it has a lot of the regular joe uh characters like i'm sure you know the x-men and spider-man all that stuff but they've since i think due to its popularity overseas in asia I think uh, that's the reason why they created a bunch of uh, superheroes, of Marvel superheroes that are uh, of the Asian variety, which is actually really cool. There's uh, there's a long list, and I'm not going to go into detail here because it's more uh, on the comic side of things, but characters like Luna Snow, who is, um, she's from South Korea, she's a K-pop star, and she has the power to uh, like basically control ice. She's kind of like Iceman, but a little a little different. There's another one called White Fox, who uh, can cha- basically shapeshifts into this uh, giant kind of fox demon. Super cool. Uh, there is Crescent and Io. It's a little a little kid who's like a Taekwondo prodigy, and she wears this mask that projects this giant bear with her, kind of like the bear in uh, Golden Compass. And then there's uh, they've got a lot of them. So there's these characters. There's like Arrow, who's the one I had talked about in a lot of my comics things that I've been reading, who controls the wind and air. There's uh, a guy named Swordmaster who's got this enchanted sword and he knows he knows some fighting skills and stuff like that. And there's a couple of others as well. Uh, Wave I think is another one too. She's from I don't remember what country it is, but it's like it's not the Philippines, but it's some it's a like an island country. Uh, very cool stuff though, and, and really interesting because again these these characters are so popular in the mobile game that Marvel is now creating comics based on them. So there's an Arrow comic series, a Swordmaster comic series, and there's also this. Agents of Atlas comic series, and so Agents of Atlas is has been around for a while. Uh, I don't know the exact date, but I'd say at least maybe it's the 70s. It was a while ago, but essentially it's run by this guy named Jimmy Woo, and it's kind of like um, it's sort of like the Avengers, but it's a little more precise. So there's this guy Jimmy Woo who kind of runs the show. He he does intel. He's almost like uh, M when it comes to the 007 program. And he uh, he recruits all of these characters, and so there's there's a lot of older ones like Shang Chi, and I don't I don't unfortunately know a lot about Agents of Atlas, the older versions of Agents of Atlas, but um, suffice to say that this current iteration is all, all those characters that I mentioned plus Shang Chi is in the group as well. 
and so is uh, Braun, who is Amadeus Cho as the Hulk, uh, and that's a, a long comic story. Hulk and Amadeus Cho were best friends. Uh, he's like, the, I think he's the seventh smartest person on the planet. He's very smart. But then in a recent comic run a couple years ago, he actually became the Hulk. And, uh, but then he ended up taming it. So now he's like, he's probably, I don't know, because the Hulk's like nine foot tall. He's a huge, he's a Hulk. But uh, Braun, who he goes by Braun, he's still green, but he's probably like six and a half, seven feet. He's he's much more human than Hulk looking, and that's because he's got full control over himself. So he's essentially a super smart Amadeus Cho, plus being the Hulk. So kind of like the the Professor Hulk from Avengers Endgame, except again, human size. Uh, him, Silk, who is, uh, she's a, an Asian uh, female who actually got bit by the exact same spider that Peter Parker was bit by, and that came out in the original Sin comic from a while back, and uh, really cool background story. She's a super cool character, and then, like I said, Shang-Chi, so they've got this Agents of Atlas thing going on right now in the comics, and it's been really popular to the point where they made a second, it was supposed to be just a mini-series, and then they made a second series, and now they're doing into a, like an event series, along with all these other comics, so to me, that says that, and I'd have to check the comic book numbers, but I don't really translate it, though, but, you know, it's popular, safe to say, they seem to be really popular characters, and so the thought that I had regarding this was, I could see Marvel Studios adapting some of these characters for the silver screen, and uh, it would be really interesting. I would love it, personally. I would love it because these characters really fascinate me. They've got really cool powers. They have really cool backstories as well. A lot of them, you know, because things are a little different over there, so some of them, they're duty-bound to their family or something happened and, you know, their their family was killed and they have to, they're fighting for ju- justice, you know, all that sort of stuff. But it just, it comes with a really interesting twist because there's a lot of, there's a lot of cool Asian culture in the background of all those stories. And so I would love to see that played out on screen. Uh, but my, my inkling, and again, this is the reason I was thinking about this, is I feel like Marvel would be a fool not to do this because you look at the success of crazy rich Asians you look at the success of uh, I feel like there was another one as well Uh, but I know the farewell did really well this year there's there's a lot of really Asian driven stories that are coming out in theaters now more that people are wanting to see they're they're clamoring to see it and so I think that's why obviously they made Shang-Chi or are making Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings which comes out in uh, February of 2021 Uh, but you know the story's not going to stop there right like we're not Marvel does not seem to be the type to go, okay, you know, here, we've made our Black Panther movie, we made our, uh, we made our Captain Marvel movie, uh, we're making our Shang-Chi movie, like, boom, check, diversity boxes are checked, we're good to go. It does not seem that way at all. I think, uh, I think they're really moving forward with this. You can see that in the Eternals, uh, and how diverse that cast is. You got a Black Widow solo movie. I mean, you can point to almost all of the movies that are coming out in this, that have been announced in this new Phase 4 and there's some bit of diversity in all of them. It's not it's not always, uh, you know, a white male leading every single one of these roles. Obviously, you've got like your Doctor Strange, but Scarlet Witch is going to be in that movie as well, and sounds like she's going to play heavily into that. Thor: Love and Thunder. Jane Foster is definitely going to be the main focus of that movie, and so there you got you got a female Thor in that one, which again from the comics is insane, and is gonna, that's going to be an amazing movie. Um, but with that said. 
right? Like we can't, they're not going to just stop there. They, they're not. And, and I already can tell, and that's just because, and I, I shared it in my, uh, in that first infinity saga and me podcast episode. But to me, I, I just think Marvel has made a lot of smart business decisions over the years. And I trusted Marvel from the very beginning. So I don't doubt that Shang-Chi is going to rock the box office. I think it's going to do great. I think it's going to play really well overseas, especially in those markets that Disney cares about the most like China and uh, some of those other underlying areas over there. And so if that's the case, they're going to want to make more. They're going to want to make more movies. And, and we've got a Black Panther 2 coming. We've got a Captain Marvel 2 coming. So they're, like, they're, they're, it's not just going to be one Shang-Chi movie. But in that sense, too, there's got to be these team-up movies coming. There's gotta, they're, they're, they have to. They, they know the success of the Avengers. They know what they've got. But how do you make things new and different? Well, you shake things up. You make it a different name. Oh, this is the Young Avengers. Oh, this is the Champions. These are, you know, all the teenage characters. Well, why not the Agents of Atlas, right? Why not? And why not introduce the Agents of Atlas in Shang-Chi? Because uh, Shang-Chi is a part of the Agents of Atlas. So that I, I would not be surprised at all. Honestly, I'm going to lose my mind. I'm going to lose my marbles if it is teased or, or mentioned in uh, Shang-Chi or happens to be a part of the movie. Uh, but still, like I said, I'm not going to be all that surprised because I'm telling you this now, um, you know, almost, what, two years in advance that this is this could be. And I wanted, and that's why I wanted to mention this is because I needed this marked down for if this happens, I need to know that I was right in this case. I wanted to have some sort of documentation uh, for that because how cool would a movie be where you've got you've got the the uh, the quartermaster sort of you got Jimmy Woo running the show and then sending out these heroes to different areas of the world. So you could you could have a movie that's now not even focused in America. It could be all overseas in in uh, Southeast Asian countries, Northeast wherever, uh, and and have some story where you have Shang. Chi, Luna Snow, White Fox. Obviously, uh, there would be the logistics of having to introduce all of those characters. And again, you could easily introduce maybe one of them in Shang-Chi, have a team up with them at some point in the movie where they're maybe both going after the same uh, the same person at some point, you know, the same the same uh, bounty or whatever the case may be. I, I, I don't think Shang-Chi's going to do that, but it's I'm, I'm just talking off the top of my head right now. But uh, you could even have a couple of other movies because, again, I really believe those would play well. There's a especially a Luna Snow movie with the with the uh, the fanfare and the rabid fan base that K-pop has. Uh, I would not be surprised if you put out a Luna Snow movie. Her whole, and they just released a comic on what her backstory is, and essentially she um, she was playing at a concert. She was you know in the concert singing, and she kind of went into her backstory. She's raised, I think, by her aunt and something like that because her parents uh, were taken. I, I don't remember the backstory, but the, the crux was AIM, the advanced idea mechanics bad guys in the Marvel Universe, they were uh, infiltrating the stadium because it was a Star, a Tony Stark stadium, which again would be a really cool callback to, to Iron Man, but um, they were infiltrating it because there was some energy source that that stadium uses because it's state-of-the-art that they wanted to use. And uh, in doing so, they had to shut the whole concert down. And Luna was trying to save her friends and got caught in between the bl a blast 
of uh, like really cold, freezing technology. It's, again, you'd have to read it, but uh, but then she becomes a superhero. So you could have that as the story. Um, I know we don't like origin stories, but that just to me seems like such a different origin story because it's something that, you know, n- n- no Marvel hero is a uh, is an artist. I mean, the only one you could probably point to would be Dazzler, but uh, we've gotten no movie on her. And uh, so I, I don't know. And that's just speaking as a huge K-pop fan. I would love to see her on the screen. But again, I just wanted to mention that because uh, if if something like that comes out of Shang-Chi, you you heard it here first in the uh, the December 15th. This is, I'm looking at my clock right now, December 15th, 2019 at 5.09 p.m., though technically I brought this to light yesterday in a uh, uh, chat forum. Um, or not chat form, I basically was asking it as a question on the Marvel Studios News Q&A, but um, the host of that who was answering the questions didn't have enough information to discuss it, so it won't be discussed with them, that's why I wanted to discuss it here. So, without further ado, we'll move into the movies that I saw, so let's let's start with Marriage Story, and then we'll move into the triple header. So, um, The Marriage Story is, uh, it's actually a really good movie. I really liked it, and I got heavy, heavy... Um, La La Land vibes, which, you know, may, let's, let me talk about that for a bit, so the, the movie opens up, and, and again, spoilers for all four of these movies, so if, if you haven't seen any of these, pause this, come back and listen to it afterwards, you can easily check out Marriage Story, it's on Netflix, and I think every human is, is required to have Netflix at this point, but um, yeah, it's directed, written and directed by Noah Baumbach, and uh, stars Adam Driver, Scarlett Johansson, and uh, a few other people, but the focus is on Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson. So the movie opens up with like this weird sort of, you're kind of getting a backstory of both the characters, and it's told as a narration by the other character. So Adam Driver is describing all the things that he loves about his wife. Scarlett Johansson's doing the same. So the movie opens with Adam Driver starting, but the the uh, the screen shows Scarlett Johansson kind of like a, a circle wipe a la Star Wars opens up to her face and she's on like a stage and it's kind of almost looks like she's performing, which again felt very La La Landy, uh, but it, and it ended up playing into the story because surprise, surprise, both of these characters are playing actors, right? Like he, so he is a director in New York and directs these play like these plays and performances and Scarlett Johansson is one of the performers in the play she wants to move back to LA and she wants to, you know, work there in LA and he kind of wants to stay in New York. And so the crux of the story is their marriage falling apart. And uh, it does so in a very beautiful and sad way, uh, just because it's it's just so funny to see they, Noah Baumbach really knows how to write human characters. And obviously there's a couple bits there where you're like, oh, does this happen to everybody? It's like, probably not. But from his experiences that he's pulling in this, uh, it's really sad and it's really powerful. Like they, y- you hear, you, you get to hear both sides of their story. Like in the very beginning, they're describing all the things that they love about their spouse. Once that's done, it turns out they were in like a divorce management thing, talking to a divorce person, and they were supposed to write down all those things to try and, um, you know, I guess find some feeling. And Scarlett Johansson doesn't want to read hers out loud. And Adam Driver's like, well, I'll do it. Like, I'm fine. And so at that point, you're like, oh, well, Adam Driver's the good guy, right? Because in any sort of divorce story or or story like this, you're going to end up picking sides. 
And so right at the beginning, you're like, oh, okay, it sounds like Adam Driver's the reasonable one. He's the one doing this. And then boom, literally the next set piece is him doing something that's like, oh, okay, I can kind of see. Sounds like maybe we didn't get all the facts. Maybe Adam Driver actually is the bad guy in this situation. And then boom, we get another situation where it's like, oh, wait, no. And so then, it, like I said, it, it's this beautiful tapestry of, well, not both no one's right or wrong like they're both they're both right and they're both wrong they're both just humans and that's what i think makes this movie so powerful is that it really captures that human emotion and the pressure that that puts on their son and uh, there's some good bits in there too but at the end of the day i, I don't know for me personally <clears throat> adam driver really loves this girl and she's going to la to be with um to like there's a pilot show whatever i look if that was me i would move to la i would immediately just move to la because I, I like la better than new york anyway but that's me right like they go so into depth in this movie of explaining that like adam driver isn't even from new york but he's lived there for such a long time and has made so many connections with people that if he feels like that's his home and he always says it in the movie like we're a new york family but then uh, then to get to this part where you know the marriage crumbles even more and scarlett johansson goes and get a, gets a divorce lawyer laura dern and she does a phenomenal job but there's this whole sad piece to adam like i thought we weren't going to be doing lawyers and she's like no it's like it's just like a casual thing like not a big deal but we as the audience are like oh, this is a big deal. Like, you're about to take him out of house and home. And so then he gets a lawyer, Alan Alda from MASH, and uh, he was hilarious. But he's, and it's so funny, like, they really dive into it. The fact, he's like, yeah, my retainer is $10,000, and then, you know, it, it's I charge four fifty an hour or something like that. And it's like, there, there's this whole bit in the movie where he ends up winning the um, the the MacArthur grant, the genius grant, as they keep calling it, for his work. He, you know, congratulations, does a great job. It's a ton of money, but he says, "Oh, she's like, oh my god, like this was. Look at how you've done." He's like, "Well, I couldn't have done it without you. Like this was, this is ours." She's like, "No, no, this is yours. Like, go for it. Like, have fun." She's like, "This is." He's he's like, "This is gonna keep." the uh the theater house employed for like the next few years like this is big i'm gonna get to pay everybody sort of thing i'm gonna get to upgrade things so it's like awesome that's really cool but then they twist that the lawyers twist that to where the he ends and he ends up getting this even more ruthless lawyer by the end of it and he's talking to himself though and he's like i don't even get like he was like, be, they're like, be, be careful. She's going to try and take that MacArthur grant from you. And we need to make sure that she doesn't because that was yours. And he's like, okay. Like he's so anti using lawyers, but then they're sitting there and they bring up the MacArthur grant and he's, his attorney's like, yeah, that's the grant that he earned the blah, blah, blah. And Laura Dern's like, but didn't you say that this was our grant, that this is, that it was both you and hers, that you couldn't have done it without her. And he's like, well, yes, but like, and so I was like, man, they're just twisting each other's words. But then the comedy bit was at the very end. He's like, I don't even get the grant anymore because he's spending all of the money from that grant on the divorce lawyers, on the divorce, on all of that. And it just was so sad to see. Like, if you're going to go through something like that, why couldn't you just amicably agree, you know, split it, whatever, save yourself the trouble, save yourself the money, because it just, this movie does a really good job of showing you how much a divorce can ruin people's lives. Not just the life of the kid, but the lives of the, the two people involved as well. Like, oh man, it was just bad. And then there's this, there's this scene where, him and her are kind of having it out 
in, uh, I think it's in her apartment or something like that, whatever the case may be, they're like screaming and yelling at each other. And it was real, it was intense. It was really powerful. They're both crying. And now it's turned into this viral meme online that I no doubt is because Netflix probably was like, Hey, maybe we could push this meme out there and get our, get more people to come see our movie. Like the things that I've seen people using with the screaming meme have been absolutely insane in a bad way. Like they are not funny and there it's just i mean i don't know it's 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 the memes 15 minutes of fame and that, that meme is going to be over soon and, and we'll never see it again thank god but um uh in terms of my thoughts for this movie because now we're getting into oscar thoughts because a lot of these movies that i've seen a lot of these movies that i'm going to be going to see these are all oscar contenders these are all movies that are getting a lot of awards recognition already from the sag awards from the golden globes um a marriage story i definitely think earned them I would be, oh, I, I mean, who cares what I think, but I would definitely put them both up for Best Actor, Actress nominations for sure, and I would also put the movie up for Best Picture, I'd be alright with that as well, and probably uh, the script, I would say, either the script or the directing, one of the two, I'd be fine with one or one or two, um, just because it, it was overall, when you, it's one of those movies when you're watching it, you're like, yeah, this is definitely an Oscar bait movie like La La Land was, but it's also one of those movies like La La Land where you're like, well, you know, gosh darn it, I'm enjoying this movie though. Like, come on, like, ah, because I just, I always wonder about that at the end of the, at the end of the Oscar season or as Oscar season is coming out, like who, every single year it feels like there's just a smattering of movies that are the exact same as the movies from the prior year that all have that same Oscar twinge to it. Uh, and it, it's just, it's so hilarious. They come out at the very end of the year, no one's able to go see them and then they win all of the awards. So uh, this is one that I would jump on though. Cause like I said, I really enjoyed it. I give this a nine out of 10. Um, it just, it's, uh, it's a really harrowing and touching story about, um, about a marriage falling apart. And, uh, next up, we're going to dive into Ford V Ferrari. This was a long movie, but it did not feel that long as two hours and 32 minutes. I caramba. This is directed by James Mangold who did, uh, the Wolverine and, or no, I'm sorry. He did Logan. He did not do the Wolverine. Uh, the Wolverine was a different one, but yeah, Logan walked the line. And now, uh, now this stars, Matt Damon, Christian Bale, John Berthal, Katriana Balfe from Outlander, Claire. And, um, it was good. It was good. I gave this one a seven out of 10. This is your classic Oscar movie. This is the this is the movie that so very clearly is made for the Oscars. It has a beginning, middle, and end. It's got the third act uh, kerfuffle. It's got the happy ending that's sort of not happy, but then it has some exclamation bits after the movie's over explaining, you know, where everyone's at. And then I think it even, yep, oh, yeah, it did definitely had some photos of the real people who were involved in, in making, like, you know, the real person who played um, what's his name? His name is, uh, Ken Miles, the driver and Carol Shelby. That was Matt Damon. Um, honestly, and this is, this is, it's going to sound bad. Okay. So this movie was good. Like I said, I enjoyed it. I didn't not enjoy it, but as I'm watching it, right, the whole movie, I'm thinking, okay, like this movie's not adding anything to me. And, and I'll, I'll say this too. I'm not a big car guy. 
and I know I, I've got uh, I've, my brother is kind of a car person. I know he he enjoyed it a little more than I did, but then I've got my buddy Matt. He uh, he I was call I called him like two weeks ago. I was like, hey, are you, do you want to go see this movie? He was like, I've seen it twice already. He saw it like opening night and then the next day because he 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 works on cars. So I was like, okay, for someone like that, I could totally see this movie being way better because there's there's a ton of car conversations. But again, you get back to the oh, you know, Ford Ford wants to make a car that's faster than Ferrari because of the uh, the president owner um, Henry Ford Jr. He uh, he has an ego that won't quit and can't stand the fact that Ferrari is uh, winning the the demand every year and he's just you know churning out cars just your classic you know you know um rich super rich white man complex of oh ever you know these people are better than me but i'm actually better because i make more money and i have more people working for me uh, i liked john bernthal as lee iacocca i thought he was good but i hated josh lucas as leo bb josh lucas for the record to me and i actually gotta look him up he looks like Seth Rogen. No, not Seth Rogen. I always mix him up with, uh, oh my goodness, I always forget his name. He was in Superbad. He was in This Is The End. He was in uh, Jonah Hill. Jonah Hill. He looks like a, a jo- uh, uh, an older, little thinner Jonah Hill. But I, and I don't know what else Josh Lucas is in. I'm not bothering with him. But he just, look, here, here's what I'm going to say in terms of the stupidity of the movie. So whether this is true or false, I don't care. It's probably true. Ken Miles is literally miles ahead of the other racers. He has passed Ferrari's team twice now. He's gonna break a like world record for speed or in the in the, the, the Le Mans. Not only that, but within this movie, uh, Shelby mentions to him like you will have won the uh, the Daytona. There was one other race. And this race, like something no one has ever done before. And it was like, cool, finally, he's going to get what he deserves because the Ford people have kind of been mean to him throughout the movie of like, he's not, he's not on brand. And it's like, give me a break. Uh, and so at the end of the movie, this stupid idiot, uh, what's his face, BB, he's like the henchman of Ford. And he brings up this dumb idea. And the reason he brings it up is because he hates Ken Miles, specifically because he hates Ken Miles. Ford has flown off in his helicopter, right? Like the race is going on. It's a long race. He flew off in his helicopter and he's flying back for like the end of the race. And he's like, what did I miss? And uh, it's like, God, dude, can you be any more like stereotypical CEO? And he uh, he's talking with BB and BB says, you know what I was thinking? I, was, I had an idea. What if we got all through because the, the Ford the Ford had three cars in the race and um, one two three all three of them are in first second and third place Ken Miles is in first second and third right and uh, he says well wouldn't it be cool in a really beautiful picture if all three of the Ford cars crossed the finish line at the same time and I'm like you have got to be kidding me that you would make Ken Miles slow down and, and he does, and it's a whole thing, and it's like, he's like, you know what, I'm going to do it, because I'm like, I'm a better man, but guess what ends up happening, because one of the other drivers started the race behind Ken Miles, that driver won, even though they all crossed the finish line at the same time, so he loses the Le Mans, so he doesn't get to all that fame and glory, it's insanely annoying, insanely frustrating, and uh, made me really upset. Clearly, because I'm, you know, that's been the focus of this discussion. But that's what I'm saying. It's like you know, it ends that way, and then he, 
it's um you know yada 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 so uh, congrats congratulations to ford v ferrari for all of the awards buzz that it's going to get here's my thoughts on the awards buzz for ford v ferrari i am all right i will not be upset if um if christian bale gets nominated for best supporting actor i'm fine with that totally fine that's it if anything else is done for that movie i'm gonna be upset uh, because again, it is a very basic movie, but just remember again, grain of salt. This is me. And you know, these, this movie's going to get nominated for stuff. No one's going to listen to me. Uh, they, this is going to be, this is guaranteed one of those movies that there's going to be a lot of, uh, politicking for it. A lot of, uh, awards. What's the word schmoozing that they're going to be? Oh, Hey, you know, rub, bumping shoulders. Hey, you ever seen four V Ferrari? Why don't you, why don't you race on down to the ballot box and vote for this movie? Because it's, it deserves it. It's a, it's a story that furthers American culture. Um, and yeah, I guess you could say it does, especially for, you know, I, it, it doesn't. All right. You know, we're getting to some movies one movie that definitely does, which is Waves, and I would rather see Waves get nominated because Waves actually uh, digs into human emotion and digs into that, that sort of stuff. So again, not a bad movie, just not deserving of all of the um, all of the praise and accolades that it is going to get. And another movie, here we go, that uh, is going to be un, uh, sort of undeserving of it. If it does, I won't be surprised if it doesn't. Richard Jewell. Uh, this is the uh, famous uh, security guard at, at uh, the Centennial Park bombing. I will never forget that because I think the words Centennial bo- Bomb Centennial Park are uh, used more uh, in this movie than I've ever heard in my entire life. So this is directed by, surprise, surprise, Clint Eastwood, along with written by uh, Billy Ray and Marie Brenner did the magazine article. So this stars Paul Walter Hauser as Richard Jewell. You may know him from uh, some other movies. He's been really come up and coming. Uh, he was in I, Tonya, Black Klansman, and Late Night. And I feel like there was another movie that I... Um, oh, it looks like he was in Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, maybe for one season. Uh, but yeah, those were the big ones. He's usually playing an oaf, like a, a dumb oaf in most of these movies, which is is fine. I mean, he does a good job. I always, when I see him, I'm like, wow, okay, he's really doing a good job. I'd love to see him in real life and see if that's actually his personality because he plays it kind of the same one. Sam Rockwell's in it as well as uh, John Juan Hamon, John Hamm, and Kathy Bates. And I think it's Olivia, or no, uh, no, yeah, isn't it Olivia? Uh, yeah, Olivia Wilde who uh, is the, um, isn't she, oh yeah, the director for uh, Booksmart, congratulations, she did a good job in this movie, played a really sleazy reporter, and uh, I'm going to get to the discussion on this film after I kind of describe this film, so, oh no, actually, after I, I want to preface this, because this, I'm recording this right now on my computer, I don't know if I'm, you know, I don't know what the deal is, I don't know if I'm bugged, I don't know, like Richard, Richard Jewell, I don't know, if the government's listening to me, but I know the minute that I post it online, it's a good chance that they're going to. So I want to preface it with this. I love my country. I love living in America. I have no desires at all to do anything or whatever in regards to this movie, uh, because I am going to be saying the word bomb quite a bit in this film and or in this discussion and so i do not need the fbi coming down to my house and mischaracterizing me like they did with richard jewell 
because uh, they just wanted to get someone get a suspect because they were profiling. So uh, that's just a thing. So then we'll start with this. Here's the here's the catchphrase for this movie. There's a bomb in Centennial Park. You have 30 minutes. Uh, my family was saying that over and over to each other because we just that was just the funniest thing in the world. That part of the trailer where he, they're making him they're making him say what the bomber said, and I'm thinking to myself, why are you saying this? And now that I've seen the movie, I can kind of see the context. So Richard Jewell is just a sort of rent-a-cop security guard who wants bigger things for himself, and we can't fault him for that. He wants to be in law enforcement, and he really believes in the rule of law. He believes in doing the right thing, but he also kind of doesn't follow the law at the same time. He's gotten trouble in a lot for going way over his stepping out of bounds basically like uh, there was an instance where he's uh, working as a a security guard at at a school and he was pulling people people over on the road and they're like you can't do that that's not our jurisdiction and he's like well I thought I was going to stop people who uh, if I stop people who are drinking then they won't bring the drinking onto campus so it's like he's trying to do the right thing but he's just going about it the wrong way and so what happens is he ends up getting a job at, at security for uh, the 1996 Olympics. And he uh, is working uh, the concert section and someone places a bomb under a, uh, under a bench. He notices the, the suspicious package. And, and again, just due to being the person that he is, he's like, hey, we need to call this in. And the people that he's with is like, come on, man, like whatever. He's like, hey, I w- they're like you're crazy he's like i would rather be crazy than uh having you know them being wrong and uh they're like uh, all right man and so they call it in and it ends up being a bomb and they're like wow man we'll, we'll never deny you again he's like not really says thanks but he's trying to get everyone evacuated yada 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 bomb goes off and the whole rest of the movie is trying it's not necessarily trying to figure out who the killer is but trying to pin it on richard jewell and the, the that is the basis of why I didn't really enjoy this movie. So it's a good movie. There are some really good emotional scenes in it. And um, Richard Jewell himself, Paul Walter Hauser, did an amazing job. Out of this movie, that is all I would be okay with seeing, is him getting a nomination for this role. He killed it. He did such a good job playing a, like a normal working class guy, like just trying to... Uh, he lives with his mom. He's overweight. He uh, is kind of a little slow, but he he's he does the right thing, and he's he's I don't know he's an okay guy in my book, but he's just getting ruined by the FBI, and the FBI are investigating him because he fits the profile of a lone bomber, and uh, so the media runs with that, and um, so he's getting attacked by the media, and he's getting attacked by the government. And so that's where the the story ends for me and the interesting politics of a Clint Eastwood movie about just a quote-unquote normal American citizen being attacked by the media and being attacked by the government. It is very, very easy to see this movie and to see maybe people who are, uh, I I would say, look, I... How, how can I say this? If you know somebody who would look at this movie, you may know somebody who, when watching this movie, would turn to you and said, that's kind of what they're doing to the president right now. To me, that is why this movie was made. And I that kind of makes me upset because as you watch this film and kind of as the film ends, yes, 
100%, Richard Jewell got dragged through the mud, and he absolutely shouldn't have. But at the same time, the FBI was just doing their job. Yeah, the FBI shouldn't have leaked that information to the reporter, but every you know there wasn't a single person in this, including him or his mom or his lawyer, that wasn't like, the FBI shouldn't be doing this. They're all like, the FBI 100% should be doing this. Like, they should be investigating everybody. Leave no stone unturned. That's great. Why is that a bad thing? And then we get to the part where, oh, you know, the media is is, is uh, saying, oh, this is a thing. Yeah, but they cleared his name. Like, this happened over, it was like 88 days. This literally happens to anyone who gets involved in something like this. The media, and I'm not, I'm not advocating for the media at all. I'm just pointing out that the way that this movie portrays the media is a little iffy because... Oh, and they do that on purpose, too. And from what I understand, my brother was telling me that uh, the real-life reporter uh, is, I think, suing the movie because of the portrayal of her, like, trading sex for information, which is what happens in this. And so they just really are trying to show that the media is a bunch of scumbags. And you've heard my rants before about, you know, social media and the media. I'm not a huge fan of the media. I I don't like that the media is always bad news and sex sells, negativity sells, uh, evil sells. Like, anytime you want to get into a bad mood, turn on the news or, you know, read through one specific news site. So um, in that respect, I, I don't like the media at all. But just the way that it was portrayed in this movie, it just, it felt like a strange choice. There are so many other, um, there are so many other stories that could have been told about somebody who was wrongly accused of something. And, um, and this just happened to be the one that was picked. Again, not a bad movie. It's just that don't we want great movies, right? Like we want really great movies. We want things that are going to further, further everything. And I guess there's going to be some people out there that are going to love this movie. And there's some people out there that are going to be, feel like they're being vindicated by this movie that they, um, you know, the media is evil and the government is wrong and that, uh, they, you know, they, they can do no wrong or that it just, I don't know. It was a bummer in that respect, just knowing the backstory of, of this movie and the, um, that that sort of piece so it, it other than that it was entertaining there was a couple of funny bits in the movie and we went with my cousin he really enjoyed it i think because he was the one that wanted to go see it in the first place and i told him i was like dude i don't want to go see this movie and he's like we've got to go see this movie and i was like okay cool well, then are you gonna come see waves with us tomorrow and he was like no i don't think so i'm gonna i'm gonna uh go skiing i'm like okay so i can't not go see richard jewel but you can skip out on waves which i guarantee you is going to be waves ahead of uh, richard jewel but you know that's neither here nor there i guess right um, but no, we had a, we had a good time in the movie and we, we had fun. Like I said, is enjoyable. If you like Clint Eastwood movies, I guess you'll probably like this movie. There's a ton of really good Clint Eastwood movies, but I think recently Clint Eastwood has kind of gone downhill for me in the, uh, the movie department. Uh, I didn't see the mule and, uh, uh the, the, what was it the taking of, Pelham, whatever the train one was as well. I didn't see that one either. My brother saw it and said it was terrible. I just, I don't know. Clint Eastwood, and I love Clint Eastwood actually. I there's a lot of movies of his that I really like. I liked him in Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Um, what was it? Uh, not Unforgiven, but oh, uh, Fistful of Dollars, Few Dollars More. Those were great. 
but look man you're you've done your time you've you you're good you can you could retire right now you could go hang out you could go sail off into the sunset you could go hang out in your backyard and in your beautiful backyard i'm sure and just rest and drink mimosas every day i that's what i would be doing i would i'd be done like aren't you tired aren't you tired i don't know i uh, but thank you for for all that you've done you know cinema wise but richard jewel man like Oh man, Richard Jewell. That's that's all I gotta say about Richard Jewell. Uh, Kathy, okay, so Kathy Bates did a pretty decent job too. But again, it's just I don't know. There's I I am not gonna remember that movie or Ford v Ferrari in a couple of weeks. Is all I'm gonna say. So I'm glad that I'm getting a record. That's why I really like doing this podcast. I get to record my thoughts on these films that, uh, like I said, you know, months time. I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. I went and saw that movie. It was it was all right. It was good. Um, it's, it's these movies though, these waves movies that are the ones that stick with you, that keep you, uh, the entire time and keep you enthralled and just, uh, phenomenal. So waves, waves, waves after waves, uh, written and directed by Trey, Trey Edward Schultz, who also did Cretia and, um, it comes at night. I liked Cretia a lot. Uh, that movie, I gave that movie a 7 out of 10. It was a really good movie, but there was just something about that movie that really like stuck with me. Uh, and I, I can't explain what it is. I think it was the sort of, I guess you could say the reality. It, it was a very human movie, and it was a very raw movie. And so I think that piece of it really like stuck in my brain because I think about that movie a lot. And um, whenever I think of Trey Edward Schultz, I'm always like, oh, yeah, he did Cretia. Like, I always share that with people. Like, yeah, I think that was his aunt. And she was, well, whatever the case may be. And so, uh, so, like I said, 7 out of 10, good movie. It Comes at Night it was a great movie. I think I gave that one an 8. Uh, really well done. Very scary. I saw that one in theaters. Uh, and now we've got Waves, which is, if, if third time's a charm means anything, it means it for this movie. This movie was incredible. Uh, 9 out of 10 is where I've got it at this one. Uh, so Waves is, right here, we'll, uh, we'll get, let me go through. I'm just going to list off all the people who are in this movie. So Taylor Russell plays the sister, Emily. Kelvin Harrison Jr. plays Tyler, the brother. And then the father is uh, Sterling K. Brown. And I believe the mother is played by Renee Elise Goldberry. Cretia is also in this movie for a very hot second at the very beginning of the movie. Uh, and then Alexa uh, Demi plays Alexis, who is the boy girlfriend of Kelvin Harrison. Lucas Hedges plays the boyfriend of the sister. And uh, so how I had kind of not necessarily described this movie, but how I had read about this movie initially um, was that it was a story about a uh, like a modern day black family, and I was like, oh, that sounds really interesting. Like, I would I would love to see this movie. And again, I love a twenty four movies. I have seen I think I've seen every single one. Uh, if not, I've probably missed like two or three. Uh, there was a period a year or two ago where I was like, oh, this is also an a twenty four movie, and so I I Wikipedia'd all of the a twenty four movies and made a list and watched all of them. Uh, and so there's there's some ones that aren't good, but the majority of A24 movies are so unique. They're so amazing, and they're just they're continuously putting out great content. So I, my brother and I were really excited to see this film because of that, because of Trey Edward Schultz. And then we saw I saw the trailer, and I was like, okay, cool. To me, if I could describe this movie in a um, I guess in a sentence, that is what it would be. It's a it's a story about a black family. But uh, more than that, to me, it felt like a combination of 
uh, American Honey, and uh, Moonlight. And very much so, there's a, there's a scene in this film where uh, the, the brother Ty, Tyler and his girlfriend are in the water, like the exact same way that Mahershala Ali and the young, um, the young boy are in Moonlight. Uh, there's also a thanks at the end to Mahershala Ali. So I was like, ooh, that's because he probably inspired him for that scene. But regardless, uh, the story is, it's just, it's it, it's a mixture of those because it's very, uh, it's a very cerebral movie. There's a, there's, it's still that family drama that Trey is now perfect at doing. I am convinced, and I, I, I'm going to actually probably should check the trivia on Waves, but I'm pretty sure it was filmed in the exact same house as the house in Cretia which is uh, awesome. Also, uh, the soundtrack of this movie is is one of the best of the year. This, you know, if you thought James Gunn was good at doing a soundtrack, I'm now wondering if Trey Edward Schultz is the king. He's got Kendrick in here. He's got uh, Kanye West. He had an abundance of Frank Ocean. I could see my brother smiling uh, throughout the whole movie as song after song came on um, and, and blended so perfectly with the film, like so perfectly um so the story is about this family who um i would i would probably classify them as rich they're they're in a really really nice house and oh no it was not filmed in the same house as Cretia. the Cretia house was in texas and the waves house is in florida the look they look similar and schultz has said it it felt meant to be um oh good so um that's cool and uh wait was this a musical it was oh erroneously reported that it was going to be a musical yeah right so okay so the story is uh it's about the son tyler so he it's him and his sister and his mom and his dad sterling k brown and um, the other actress i'm sorry i forgot her name i'm gonna have to check it out one more time but um they they're just a regular family and that was uh, renee elise goldsberry and it's kind of focused around him and so he is a 18-year-old um, kid, and he is super, like, very athletic. He's a very athletic kid, and he's dating what looks to be, I think, one of the cheerleaders, but he, he wrestles. So there's various bits of him wrestling and lifting weights, but also coupled with him being with his girlfriend and, and with his family and his dad, you can tell as, as the movie kind of goes on, his dad really, really pushes him hard. He works out with his dad. His dad's always like asking him questions, like why, you know, why didn't you do this, that sort of stuff. And then there's a, at a point there's a really powerful scene where he, um, well, actually, okay, so as it, as it's moving along, he it's it's interspersed. If you like Terrence Malick movies. This is like a Terrence Malick movie on steroids in the sense that a lot of Terrence Malick's movies are wispy. And if you've seen them and know what I'm talking about, they're very, the, cam the camera cuts are long and wide and things, people are usually just wandering around a street or, or at the beach or, or the camera is panning up at a, at a leaf on a tree. And, and suddenly we get a, a look at somebody, the, uh, an up close look at somebody's hand. And suddenly then we are in a cave and, and there's sunlight shining through. Like it's a very wispy, beautiful type of movie. Waves has that same feel where there's people kind of just moving in and out of the shot and it focuses on this and then moves to this. But with the soundtrack that it has and the quick camera work as well that it has, 
it it isn't as slow as a Terrence Malick movie. And again, not a knock to Terrence Malick. He's one of my favorite directors. But um but it just has that feel. So he's so there's there's cuts interspersed of him doing this, that, or the other. And so the big I think the best way to describe that is it's not very plot heavy. The plot is you're following a a black family in Florida, um, but there's a bunch of stuff that happens throughout the movie that builds on it creates a plot. So again, interspersed stuff, and then all of a sudden we get him going into an MRI machine, and he is talking with a doctor by himself. Doesn't make sense to me by himself and the doctor's explaining to him that his shoulder needs surgery that he has a five out of five on some scale of like the amount of damage that has been done to his shoulder uh whether it's due to wrestling whatever they don't really describe it but ba- the the essential piece is he needs to have surgery or it's gonna get worse and she, he's like do you want me to call your parents and he's like no no i'll handle it he obviously doesn't tell his parents but when he after he finds out that news he um simultaneously almost um finds out from his girlfriend and I actually it uh it doesn't happen exactly at that point so at that point his girlfriend says I'm, I might be late like I haven't had my period yet and he's like oh no and so we're like oh no like is she gonna get pregnant what's gonna happen and so so then it's kind of cut in and out we're at a wrestling game and this guy just whams into him basically and oh that scene was so rough to watch of him wrestling because he's just crying because he's like I, he's telling the doctor, like, can't can I just wait till, like, the season's over and then I'll have the whole summer to recover? He goes, if you don't wait, it won't matter when you do it. Like, you're never going to recover. But if you even just do it right now, like, at least you'll have a chance of some sort of recovery. Like, if you injure this anymore, you're done forever. And so that's, like, that's a blow to someone like him, as you see throughout the movie, like, someone who's so passionate about that and has all of these expectations put on him from his dad to be the best. And so, so there's this piece now. So he's got, we have the audience has those bits of information. And so he's sitting at his computer, kind of bummed out at home. And his dad comes in and is like, why are you upset? And he's like, I'm not, I'm not. And so we get that whole classic bit, but he's like, Hey, listen to me. Like the reason that I push you, it's not, I don't want to do this. I have to do this. He's like, we have to work 10 times harder than everybody else just to get the same stuff. So you you get that piece of like, wow, like, you can tell that he worked really hard for the life that he has. But he, and he goes into that. He's like, nothing in this room came from you. Like, this all came from me. It certainly didn't come from your mom. Um, and so you can see that he's kind of a, a rude, mean father, but he, he has good intentions. And I think as you find out, though, oh, man, it's just it's, it's getting going to get intense as, as I start explaining this. Things are coming back. But um, so then he... Uh, he meets with his girlfriend who, who's like, Hey, you know, it's been like three or four weeks and nothing's happened yet. No period. And so they, there's a, there's like a quick discussion and then another camera cut to them at an abortion clinic. And there's these people outside screaming horrible things and and they go inside and, and, you know, you're like, Oh, okay. All right. Well, I guess this is not going to be the plot of the story. I guess this is going to be, you know, there's going to be a nice little, albeit sad and, and devastating for them, bow put on this that, you know, they're not going to have to worry about a child. And uh, she walks out, though. And so they're like in there waiting. And she walks out. She's like, I can't do this. And they're, he's like, how did it go? And she's like, I couldn't do it. And he's like, what? And he gets really mad at her. And she's and it's 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 tough to watch because again you're you're seeing things from both people's perspectives and she's like I don't know if I can do this I can because she's she's kind of not necessarily ditzy but she's just you can tell that there's pressures been put on her in her life 
She obviously doesn't want to feel judged, all that stuff. But he's over here thinking, you know, our both of our lives are going to be ruined if this happens. Like, we're still in school. We have our lives ahead of us, that sort of thing. And so there's this huge ball of tension that's created at that point. And so then, at the, you know, as this has been going on and progressing, we've seen him start to um, take oxycodone. And he stole some from his dad's medicine cabinet and has been taking some ever since. And he gets to the point where I think he takes a little too much and he's also drinking and partying. And there's all that's bad, but Backstreet Freestyle is playing and he, they're all singing to it by campfire at the beach, which was nuts. That's one of my favorite Kendrick Lamar songs. So that was awesome to see. But then we get to him going back home and he's so knocked out of his mind. He's high, he's scared, and his sister's kind of comforting him in the bathroom. And he's crying in her arms like, I'm so sorry. And so then um, new scene and we're in a new thing and it's been a little bit of time has passed and he's texting his girlfriend and he's like, hey, she's like, hey, I'm ready to talk. Like, I'm sorry. They're both like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But he's like, she's like, I've made my decision. I'm keeping the baby. And he gets incredibly mad, so mad. But she says, we're done. Like, we're over. I'm breaking up with you because he's got anger issues and, and he's kind of a little crazy. And because again, and you see it as it's going, like because of the pressure that he's being put under and at the same time because of this diagnosis. And so after he had the wrestling match, I think he had to have the surgery or something because the rest of the movie, he's in a sling. He has to have, be in a sling. And uh, and so he's like, well, like, whoa, 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 like what about prom or whatever? It's like some dance or something. He's like, you know, she's like, no, we're over. I'm blocking you. And so then he just kind of spirals bad at that point. And so he uh what happened because they grounded him his family grounded him he was grounded he uh what was he doing i don't remember what it was that he did it must have been just from him coming home from that party all wasted that they grounded him but now the dance is coming and it's even worse now so he's like he try he um does some drugs like he does he takes some of the oxycodone and then he snorts some of it and then um, he's drinking as well, and he's like, kind of. You can see that he's pumping himself up for for something, and we see him going through like Instagram stories, of uh, um, um, Instagram stories of his uh, of his ex girlfriend now, kind of getting ready for prom, and he uh, he kind of just he goes into his dad's office and steals his dad's keys, and but his mom sees him, and she's like what are you doing? And he's like, get out of my way. And like, he's like, no, what are you doing? Like the huge confrontation and his dad comes out. And at that point, there's been some hints, not hints, but they've shown like that his dad is way stronger than he is. And his dad's like, don't make me stop you. And he's like all, you know, totally fronting with him, like, because he's drunk and they're, whatever. But at this point we find out cause he's yelling, screaming at his mom about how horrible mom is. You're not my mom. And so we find out at that point that um, oh man, wow, and this stuff's actually hitting me now. So all we know at that point is that I guess his dad had a divorce or something, or something happened and he's remarried. But his dad tries to stop him and he knocks his dad down and then leaves. And to me, I'm thinking like, dude, you are so much stronger than him. Why didn't you just get up and grab him? Because he takes his dad's truck, drives to this party, confronts his girlfriend, and he's he's just beyond wasted at this point. But he confronts his girlfriend in the garage. And she's like hitting him because he like won't let up. He's like yelling at her like, no, stop. Like we can take care of this baby together. She's like, I don't want anything to do with you. And so she slaps him and he like pushes her, slaps her again. He hits her 
and she falls onto the cement in the garage and dies, hits her head and dies. And he like loses it and runs away and, and drives back home. And his dad's out looking for him at this point. Like they're trying to figure out where he is. And so the police show up at his house and arrest him. And it is confirmed at that point that uh, the girl has died. And so he is convicted of second degree murder and is put in a correctional facility for 30 years. Or no, I'm sorry, for life. But they said because it was done out of mercy or the, the courts are like, this is um, you know a mercy thing. You're eligible for parole after 30 years. And so it's like, oh, wow. And so I, I no, not kidding you. I, I'm sitting there and I was like, wow, that was a good movie. That was awesome. And I, I, peeked, I peeked at my phone to check the time and there was still an hour left in the movie. And I was like, oh, yeah. Because at, at this point it started focusing on the sister. And I was like, no way. Is he going to do that? Is he going to have like the first half of this movie is about the brother and then the second half is about the sister? And it is. And it's amazing. So the second half goes into the sister and she's struggling with, you know, the brother being gone. His mom, his, her mom, their mom and dad are now kind of uh, straining. They have uh, their own marriage story now of, uh, you know, it seems like things are starting to fall apart because of this. And she ends up um, kind of being ostracized at school, or at least she feels like she is because everyone's saying, you know, the whole family should die. This kid should rot in hell for what he did. Like, because he, I mean, he killed this girl because he was, you know, obviously messed up out of his mind, but still he did it. And, uh, and so he meets, she meets Lucas Hedges, who funny enough, you see, you see very briefly in the beginning, cause he's on the wrestling team and you're like, well, wait a minute. Is that all, is that all for Lucas Hedges? Like he was announced at the beginning of the movie. Like he's got almost top billing, but, uh, no. So then he ends up actually becoming the boyfriend of her and it is really sweet story. He's like so kind to her and so nice. And there, she's sort of trying to figure herself out at this point. And she actually reconciles a little bit with her dad. But through these conversations, we start finding out that her mom actually died. And so the mom died of an overdose when she was very young. So I imagine that probably had a huge effect, not just on him, on Tyler, but on the father as well. Seeing his son like that, that last night of like flashbacks to probably how his wife was and, and how that's got to be so sad to see. And so it gets to the point where Lucas is kind of, and his name's Luke, go figure, um, explaining that, you know, he's got a great mom, but he doesn't have a dad. His dad uh, was an abuser, drug addict, same thing, drinker, and is in Missouri, but he said his dad has cancer. And he's, she's like, oh, I'm sorry. He's like, no, I'm glad he deserves it. But then, you know, the very end, the ending of the movie is uh, he finds out that his dad is dying now of cancer and has got about a week left. And she's like, she's like, we should go you should go see him. He's like, no, no. And she's like, no, trust me. Like we could make a trip out there. It's they're like, it's the summer basically. Like they have nothing to do. They have no school. She's like, it's it take us two days, but you go out there, you get to talk with him. Like you would regret it if you didn't. And so they, they make a trip out there and it's amazing. It's really sad, but at the same time, really beautiful. And so she kind of decides to reconcile with her mom and dad. And, and we kind of see the beginnings of what looks to be the family starting to repair itself. And that's how the movie ends. And it just, it was so, I mean, hey, we stayed till the end of the credits, not just because I wanted to see what every single song was in, in that movie, but I was just, just floored by that movie. I was really impressed. I, oh, well, I would, um, I would definitely say uh, best uh, director for uh, Trey Edward Schultz, and I would also say best picture. And then I would almost go to, 
uh, Best Actor for The Sun, uh, which was, I'm going to have to pull this up again. I don't remember his name, but um, here, I'll grab it real quick. Apologies for the wait, but hey, it's worth it because he did such a good job. Uh, Kelvin Harrison Jr. Those would be my picks for this. Also, actually, it's not they, they don't have a best soundtrack, do they? Because uh, score was good. The score was really good, but the soundtrack was just phenomenal. So if you get a chance, if you have the opportunity, go see this movie. Um, it's It was only playing one time, like one showtime in the theater, but that was it. So um, I would check it out before it gets out of theaters. There's a lot of other really good A24 movies coming in from that, though. Uncut Gems came out this weekend. And I, one other thing I wanted to point out, too, the box office this weekend was very kind to Jumanji. But uh, Hidden Life, Terrence Malick's movie, premiered this week, first week. And it did not do so well. It came out. So here's here's actually really interesting. So uh, a really cool comparison. Uh, Hidden Life premiered in five theaters, as did Uncut Gems in five theaters. That's the, uh, if you guys don't know, that's the Adam Sandler movie. Um, and you could say it's an Adam Sandler movie, but it's an Adam Sandler's in this movie. It's an A24 movie. Uh, and then A Hidden Life is written and directed by Terrence Malick. It's about a basically a conscious objector in the uh, World War II for the Nazis. It's about like a German guy who doesn't want to be in it. And that movie is, is three hours long and I'm dying to see it, but it's all, both of them are only in five theaters. Uh, apparently uh, Uncut Gems broke A24's record of per movie theater average. So Uncut Gems made $525,000 this weekend. In five theaters, that's $105,000 per theater. A Hidden Life made $52,000, which is $10,000 per theater. So that is only ten, literally 10% of what Uncut Gems did. So I am just praying that... Uh, that a hidden life comes to a theater near me because I hope they don't look at that and say maybe we won't do it because it's getting really good reviews. It's getting really good reviews. So I, I really want to see that hopefully before the year is done. Just because I I I hate seeing really good movies that come out in twenty the the year of and I can't see them until the next year. Again, it's that Oscar syndrome that I was talking about. But we just passed the hour mark. Actually, we're at an hour and a minute now. So uh, I'm going to wrap this up. Those were the movies that I saw this week. So hopefully you guys can check them out as well and uh, see if your opinions lined up with mine. Hopefully they did, but also hopefully they didn't. Uh, we need a little bit of discourse. So um, uh, but let me know what you thought about them, uh, especially Waves, if you get a chance to see it, because, who oh boy, that was a great movie. And Marriage Story as well. So for co uh, Comics and Cinema, I'm your host, Alex Klein. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you at the movies. Thank you.